0: Hi, welcome to History's Great Speeches. I'm Charles Featherston, voice artist, narrator and compiler of the series. Please like or subscribe, and feel free to contact me via Bandcamp, Podbean, Facebook or Patreon to let me know speeches or time periods you'd like to see covered. You can find a full set of links at my website, charlesfeatherston.uk Cicero, Second Oration Against Mark Antony, Part 2 The tribune of the people was borne along in a chariot, lictors crowned with laurels preceded him, among whom, on an open litter, was carried an actress, whom honourable men, citizens of the different municipalities, coming out from their towns under compulsion to meet him, saluted, not by the name by which she was well known on the stage, but by that of Volumnia. A car followed full of pimps, then a load of debauched companions, and then his mother, utterly neglected, followed the mistress of her profligate son as if she had been her daughter-in-law. Oh, the disastrous fecundity of that miserable woman! With the marks of such wickedness as this did that fellow stamp every municipality and prefecture and colony, and in short, the whole of Italy. When victorious, you returned with the legions from Thessaly to Brundusium, There you did not put me to death. It was a great kindness, for I confess that you could have done it. But there was no one of those men who were with you at that time who did not think that I ought to be spared. For so great is men's affection for their country that I was sacred even in the eyes of your legions because they recollected that the country had been saved by me. However, grant that you did give me what you did not take away from me, and that I have my life as a present from you, since it was not taken from me by you. Was it possible for me, after all your insults, to regard that kindness of yours as I regarded it at first, especially after you saw that you must hear this reply from me? You came to Brundusium, to the bosom and embrace of your actress. What is the matter? Am I speaking falsely? How miserable is it not to be able to deny a fact which it is disgraceful to confess! If you had no shame before the municipal towns, had you none even before your veteran army? For what soldier was there who did not see her at Brundusium? Who was there who did not know that she had come to so many days' journey to congratulate you? Who was there who did not grieve that he was so late in finding out how worthless a man he had been following? Again, you made a tour through Italy with that same actress for your companion. Cruel and miserable was the way in which you led your soldiers into the towns. Shameful was the pillage in every city of gold and silver and, above all, of wine. And besides all this, while Caesar knew nothing about it, as he was at Alexandria, Antonius, by the kindness of Caesar's friends, was appointed his master of the horse. Then he thought that he could live with Hippia by virtue of his office and that he might give horses, which were the property of the state, to Sergius the buffoon. At that time he had selected for himself to live in, not the house which he now dishonours, but that of Marcus Piso. Why need I mention his decrees, his robberies, the possessions of inheritances which were given him and those too which were seized by him? Want compelled him, he did not know where to turn, that great inheritance from Lucius Rubrius and that other from Lucius Tuscellius had not yet come to him. He had not yet succeeded as an unexpected heir to the place of Cnaius Pompeius and of many others who were absent. He was forced to live like a robber, having nothing beyond what he could plunder from others. However, we will say nothing of these things which are acts of a more hardy sort of villainy. Let us speak rather of his meaner descriptions of worthlessness. You, with those jaws of yours and those sides of yours, and that strength of body suited to a gladiator, drank such quantities of wine at the marriage of Hippia that you were forced to vomit the next day in the sight of the Roman people. Oh, action disgraceful, not merely to see, but even to hear of! If this had happened to you at supper amid those vast drinking cups of yours, who would not have thought it scandalous?' But in an assembly of the Roman people, a man holding a public office, a master of the horse, to whom it would have been disgraceful even to belch, vomiting filled his own bosom, and the whole tribunal with fragments of what he had been eating, reeking with wine. But he himself confesses this among his other disgraceful acts. Let us proceed to his more splendid offences. Caesar came back from Alexandria, fortunate as he seemed at least to himself, but in my opinion, no one can be fortunate who is unfortunate for the Republic. The spear was set up in front of the temple of Jupiter Statu, and the property of Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, miserable that I am, for even now that my tears have ceased to flow, my grief remains deeply implanted in my heart, the property, I say, of Gnaeus Pompeius the Great was submitted to the pitiless voice of the auctioneer. On that one occasion, the state forgot its slavery and groaned aloud. And though men's minds were enslaved, as everything was kept under by fear, still the groans of the Roman people were free. While all men were waiting to see who would be so impious, who would be so mad, who would be so declared an enemy to gods and to men as to dare to mix himself up with that wicked auction, no one was found except Antonius. "'even though there were plenty of men collected round that spear who would have dared anything else. "'One man alone was found to dare to do that which the audacity of everyone else had shrunk from and shuddered at. "'Were you then seized with such stupidity, or, I should rather say, with such insanity?' as not to see that if you, being of the rank in which you were born, acted as a broker at all, and above all as a broker in the case of Pompeius's property, you would be execrated and hated by the Roman people, and that all gods and all men must at once become and forever continue hostile to you. But with what violence did that glutton immediately proceed to take possession of the property of that man, to whose valour it had been owing that the Roman people had been more terrible to foreign nations while his justice had made it dearer to them? When, therefore, this fellow had begun to wallow in the treasures of that great man, he began to exult like a buffoon in a play who has lately been a beggar and has suddenly become rich. But, as some poet or other says, ill-gotten gain comes quickly to end. It is an incredible thing, and almost a miracle, how he in a few, not months, but days, squandered all that vast wealth. There was an immense quantity of wine, an excessive abundance of very valuable plate, much precious apparel, great quantities of splendid furniture and other magnificent things in many places, such as one was likely to see belonging to a man who was not indeed luxurious, but who was very wealthy. Of all this, in a few days there was nothing left. What Charybidus was ever so voracious? Charybidus, do I say? Charybidus, if she existed at all, was only one animal. The ocean, I swear most solemnly, appears scarcely capable of having swallowed up such numbers of things so widely scattered and distributed in such different places with such rapidity. Nothing was shut up, nothing sealed up, no list was made of anything. Whole storehouses were abandoned to the most worthless of men. Actors seized on this, actresses on that. The house was crowded with gamblers and full of drunken men. People were drinking all day, and that, too, in many places. There were added to all this expense, for this fellow was not invariably fortunate, heavy gambling losses. You might see in the cellars of the slaves, couches covered with the most richly embroidered counterpanes of Gnaeus Pompeius. Wonder not, then, that all these things were so soon consumed. Such profugacy as that could have devoured not only the patrimony of one individual, however ample it might have been, as indeed his was, but whole cities and kingdoms. And then his houses and gardens! Oh, the cruel audacity! Did you dare to enter into that house? Did you dare to cross that most sacred threshold, and to show your most profligate countenance to the household gods who protect that abode? A house which for a long time no one could behold, no one could pass by without tears. Are you not ashamed to dwell so long in that house? One in which, stupid and ignorant as you are, still you can see nothing which is not painful to you. When you behold those beaks of ships in the vestibule and those warlike trophies, do you fancy that you are entering into a house which belongs to you? It is impossible. Although you are devoid of all sense and all feeling, as in truth you are, still you are acquainted with yourself and with your trophies and with your friends. Nor do I believe that you, either waking or sleeping, can ever act with quiet sense. It is impossible but that were you ever so drunk and frantic, as in truth you are, when the recollection of the appearance of that illustrious man comes across you, you should be roused from sleep by your fears and often stirred up to madness if awake. I pity even the walls and the roof, for what had that house ever beheld except what was modest, except what proceeded from the purest principles and from the most virtuous practice? For that man was, O conscript fathers, as you yourselves know, not only illustrious abroad, but also admirable at home, and not more praiseworthy for his exploits in foreign countries than for his domestic arrangements. Now in his house every bedchamber is a brothel, and every dining room a cookshop. Although he denies this, do not, do not make inquiries, he has become economical. He desired that mistress of his to take possession of whatever belonged to her according to the laws of the Twelve Tables. He has taken his keys from her and turned her out of doors. What a well-tried citizen! Of what proved virtue is he? The most honorable passage in whose life is the one when he divorced himself from this actress." Though you yourself took no personal share in it, through timidity, partly through profligacy, you had tasted, or rather had sucked in, the blood of fellow citizens. You had been in the battle of Pharsalia as a leader. You had slain Lucius Domitius, a most illustrious and high-born man. You had pursued and put to death in the most barbarous manner many men who had escaped from the battle and whom Caesar would perhaps have saved, as he did some others. And after performing these exploits, what was the reason why you did not follow Caesar into Africa, especially when so large a portion of the war was still remaining? And accordingly, what place did you obtain about Caesar's person after his return from Africa? What was your rank? He whose quaestor you had been when general, whose master of the horse when he was dictator, to whom you had been the chief cause of war, the chief instigator of cruelty, the sharer of his plunder, his son, as you yourself said, by inheritance, proceeded against you for the money which you owed for the house and gardens, and for the other property which you had bought at that sale. At first you answered fiercely enough and that I may not appear prejudiced against you in every particular, you used a tolerably just and reasonable argument. What, does Caius Caesar demand money of me? Why should he do so any more than I should claim it of him? Was he victorious without my assistance? No, and he never could have been. It was I who supplied him with a pretext for civil war. It was I who proposed mischievous laws. It was I who took up arms against the consuls and generals of the Roman people, against the senate and people of Rome, against the gods of the country, against its altars and hearths, against the country itself. Has he conquered for himself alone? Why should not those men whose common work the achievement is have the booty also in common? You were only claiming your right, but what had that to do with it? He was the more powerful of the two. Oh, how splendid was that eloquence of yours when you harangued to the people stark naked. What could be more foul than this, more shameful than this, more deserving of every sort of punishment? Are you waiting for me to prick you more? This that I am saying must tear you and bring blood enough if you have any feeling at all. I am afraid that I may be detracting from the glory of some most eminent men. Still, my indignation shall find a voice. What can be more scandalous than for that man to live who had placed a diadem on a man's head when everyone confesses that that man was deservedly slain who rejected it? And moreover, he caused it to be recorded in the annals under the head of Lupercalia that Marcus Antonius, the consul, by command of the people, had offered the kingdom to Caius Caesar, perpetual dictator, and that Caesar had refused to accept it. I now am not much surprised at your seeking to disturb the general tranquillity, at your hating not only the city but the light of the day, and at your living with a pack of abandoned robbers, disregarding the day and yet regarding nothing beyond the day. For where can you be safe in peace? What place can there be for you when laws and courts and justice have sway, both of which you, as far as in you lay, destroyed by the substitution of kingly power? Was it for this that Lucius Tarquinius was driven out, that Spurius Cassius and Spurius Maelius and Marcus Manlius were slain, that many years afterward a king might be established at Rome by Marcus Antonius, though the bare idea was impiety? However, let us return to the auspices. Oh, what a splendid progress of yours was that in the months of April and May, when you attempted even to lead a colony to Capua! How you made your escape from thence, or rather how you barely made your escape, we all know. And now you are still threatening the city. I wish you would try, and we should not then be forced to say barely. However, what a splendid progress of yours that was. Why need I mention your preparations for banquets? Why your frantic hard drinking? Those things are only an injury to yourself. These are injuries to us. We thought that a great blow was inflicted on the Republic when the Campanian district was released from the payment of taxes in order to be given to the soldiery. But you have divided it among your partners in drunkenness and gambling. I tell you, old conscript fathers, that a lot of buffoons and actresses have been settled in the district of Campania. Why should I now complain of what has been done in the district of Leontini? Although formerly these lands of Campania and Leontini were considered part of the patrimony of the Roman people and were productive of great revenue and very fertile, you gave your physician 3,000 acres. What would you have done if he had cured you? And 2,000, your master of oratory. What would you have done if he had been able to make you eloquent? In public transactions, nothing is more authoritative than law. In private affairs, the most valid of all deeds is a will, Of the laws, some he abolished without giving the least notice, others he gave notice of bills to abolish. Wills he annulled, though they have been at all times held sacred, even in the case of the very meanest of citizens. As for the statues and pictures which Caesar bequeathed to the people, together with his gardens, those he carried away, some to the house which belonged to Pompeius and some to Scipio's villa. And are you then diligent in doing honour to Caesar's memory? Do you love him even now that he is dead? What greater honor had he obtained than that of having a holy cushion, an image, a temple, and a priest? As then Jupiter and Mars and Quirinius have priests, so Marcus Antonius is the priest of the god Julius. Why then do you delay? Why are you not inaugurated? Choose a day. Select someone to inaugurate you. We are colleagues, no one will refuse. Oh, you detestable man, whether you are the priest of a tyrant or of a dead man. I ask you then, whether you are ignorant, what day this is. Are you ignorant that yesterday was the fourth day of the Roman games in the circus? And that you yourself submitted a motion to the people that a fifth day should be added besides, in honour of Caesar? Why are we not all clad in the protector? Why are we permitting the honour which by your law was appointed for Caesar to be deserted? Had you no objection to so holy a day being polluted by the addition of supplications, while you did not choose it to be so by the addition of ceremonies connected with a sacred cushion? Either take away religion in every case, or preserve it in every case. Recollect, then, O oh Marcus Antonius, that day on which you abolished the dictatorship, Set before you the joy of the Senate and people of Rome, compare it with this infamous market held by you and your friends, and then you will understand how great is the difference between praise and profit. But in truth, just as some people, through some disease which has blunted the senses, have no conception of the niceness of food, so men who are lustful, avaricious and criminal have no taste for true glory. But if praise cannot allure you to act rightly, still cannot even fear turn you away from the most shameful actions? You are not afraid of the courts of justice. If it is because you are innocent, I praise you. If because you trust in your power of overbearing them by violence, are you ignorant of what that man has to fear who on such an account as that does not fear the courts of justice? But if you are not afraid of brave men and illustrious citizens, because they are prevented from attacking you by your armed retinue, still, believe me, your own fellows will not long endure you. And what a life is it, day and night, to be fearing danger from one's own people? Unless, indeed, you have men who are bound to you by greater kindnesses than some of those men by whom he was slain were bound to Caesar, or unless there are points in which you can be compared with him. In that man were combined genius, method, memory, literature, prudence, deliberation, and industry. He had performed exploits in war which, though calamitous for the Republic, were nevertheless mighty deeds. Having for many years aimed at being a king, he had with great labour and much personal danger accomplished what he intended. He had conciliated the ignorant multitude by presents, by monuments, by largesses of food and by banquets. He had bound his own party to him by rewards, his adversaries by the appearances of clemency. Why need I say much on such a subject? He had already brought a free city, partly by fear, partly by patience, into a habit of slavery. With him I can, indeed, compare you as to your desire to reign but in all other respects you are in no degree to be compared to him. But from the many evils which by him have been burnt into the Republic there is still this good, that the Roman people has now learnt how much to believe everyone to whom to trust itself and against whom to guard. Do you never think on these things? And do you not understand that it is enough for brave men to have learnt how noble a thing it is as to the act, how grateful it is as to the benefit done, how glorious as to the fame acquired, to slay a tyrant? When men could not bear him, do you think they will bear you? Believe me, the time will come when men will race with one another to do this deed, and when no one will wait for the tardy arrival of an opportunity. Consider, I beg you, Marcus Antonius, do some time or other consider the Republic. Think of the family of which you are born and not of the men with whom you are living. Be reconciled to the Republic. However, do you decide on your conduct? As to mine, I myself will declare what that shall be. I defended the Republic as a young man. I will not abandon it now that I am old. I scorned the sword of Catiline. I will not quail before yours. No, I will rather cheerfully expose my own person if the liberty of the city can be restored by my death.